Would you please remain standing for the reading of God's holy word? Our scripture text this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. If you're using the Black Pew Bible, you can find this on page 989. Listen now as I read 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. For this is the very word of God. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless to our hearts and minds the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. It is my distinct honor and privilege to introduce our guest preacher this morning, uh, Dr. John Piper, distinguished author, preacher, and longtime pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. John, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, I personally ask for your help now so that I would be faithful to these two verses from your word. I pray that I would experience them in these moments. Since my resolution is to speak the truth, help me to lean now fully upon your power to do so and not on my own strength. And I pray that these verses would be performed in the hearts and minds of those who are now listening. That you would cause this to become a reality, that we would experience your power fulfilling our good resolves, turning them into works of faith for your glory for our glorification according to your grace and the grace of the Lord Jesus. So come, do your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, asked everybody in the world to tell him some suggestions about what his New Year's resolution should be. And he always picks out something unusual. So one year, Mark Zuckerberg resolved to eat only meat that he had killed. And another year, he resolved to learn to speak Mandarin. And so I found out yesterday that he's made his decision namely to read a book, a new book, every other week with, quote, an emphasis on learning about different cultures, beliefs, and histories, and technologies. Now, one of the articles that reported this began like this. Mark Zuckerberg is not unlike a lot of us, He, too, plans to make himself a better person in the new year. Now, right there, you have an illustration of why New Year's resolutions have fallen on hard times among gospel people. Because gospel people don't want to talk like that. I'm going to make myself a better person. Got some resolutions, going to read some books, eat some meat, learn some languages, be a better person. Now, if you're a gospel person and you love to depend on grace and give God glory, you say, I'm done with this stuff. I mean, it's finished. No New Year's resolutions in my life. That's just for worldly people who do self-help. That's what New Year's resolutions are. They're the American way of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and making yourself a better person. So I'm done with that. So 
I, I want to ponder whether New Year's resolutions are biblical. That's my question. I don't care whether he does them. I don't care whether you do them. I do care whether God thinks we should do them. And if so, how? So that's where we're going. And these two verses are pretty plain, I think. In fact, these are one of the, these verses are the kinds of verses that I love so much. And I think the reason I love them so much is that they're comprehensive of a way of life. If you just had these two verses, you would have a pretty clear idea how to live the Christian life. I love pairs of verses like that, that are that comprehensive. I also love them because they're pretty plain. I, I think with just a tiny bit of guidance, and maybe no guidance, most of you could get every point from these verses I'm going to make. That's not true of every sermon. Sometimes I get things out of verses people say, how did you get that? I don't think you'll say that about anything this morning. So here we are. And let me just go to verse 11 in 2 Thessalonians 1. So if you didn't open a Bible, let's see, it's page 989 in one of those pew Bibles, I see. That might help some of you if you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to look at it. I like when people look at texts so that when you go home, you can say, I saw it. He didn't just say it. I saw it. So here we are. Verse 11, chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians. To this end, we always pray for you. Let me just stop right there. This cannot be taken for granted. When you say, I pray for you, or when you read Paul say, I pray for you, you are thinking, aren't you? He's asking God to act. Okay? Everybody with me on this? When you pray... You're asking God to act. So, for example, you got some kids going back to college or something, and you pray, oh, God, help them to drive safely. What do you mean? Have you helped? What do you mean? I think a lot of people just mean, I hope they get there safe. And that's not what you mean. What you mean is, God Almighty, work in their will so that they don't text while they're driving or whatever might make them have an accident. Silly conversation or distraction with a billboard or, in other words, God be at work in the brain and the will of my kids so that if they start to have a free will inclination towards some stupid act, stop it. I mean, prayer is serious stuff. Prayer is asking Almighty God to get down dirty into the will of your kids and change them. Okay, that's this little princess here on the word prayer. Because I just have a feeling we throw out these words, I pray that. And we're not having to think you really are asking God to intrude himself into people's minds and wills and mix it up. That's really important to know. If you don't believe he can do that, just stop praying. And if you do believe he can do that, pray on. Okay, let's get to the word. The word resolve. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling or his call and may fulfill every good resolve. That's why I chose this verse. Fulfill every good resolve and work of faith by his power. Now, that's the ESV. 
English Standard Version. If you got the New American Standard, for example, it says, fulfill every desire for goodness. If you got the NIV, it says, I pray that he fulfill every good purpose. So, resolve, purpose, desire. Three translations, three words. Resolve, purpose, desire. Now, when you study the Bible, don't don't worry about that. Don't stumble over that. Just think about those three words and say, okay, probably, since these are faithful, responsible, good translations, I believe those three are, that Greek word behind those three English words probably has that kind of range of meaning. It's a desire for some good thing. It's a purpose to pursue some good thing. It's a resolve to go after some good thing. And so, relax, it is, that is what the word means. That's a good summary of the word. So whenever you hear me this morning use the word resolution or resolve, understand I mean any activity of the will or the mind that is going out towards something good to see that it happens. I'm pushing towards something good with my mind and with my will. Whether you call it an earnest desire, or whether you call it I'm purposing, or whether you call it I'm resolving, it's all right. Those are all in the word. The thing that that word does not allow is jellyfish floating in the current of contemporary culture. That's not in the word. Resolve, desire, purpose is not what jellyfish do. Jellyfish float. They coast. And so do millions of human beings. Right along in the current of culture. You Christians are dolphins, not jellyfish. I gotta tell a story about a kid because I just heard that child. I love this story. I tell my students in preaching that I don't ever tell jokes in a sermon. I've never told a joke. I just tell stories and people laugh. And I was doing this jellyfish-dolphin distinction years ago. And I said, with all my might, nobody, (laughs) nobody wants to be a dolphin. I mean a jellyfish. Nobody wants to be a jellyfish. Anybody want to be a jellyfish? And a little girl right on the front was, I do. (laughs) So I had to think, okay. I'm going to rescue, rescue this girl from heresy. <laughs> you do not want to be a jellyfish if you're in a current that's flowing toward hell. There might be some other time you want to be a jellyfish, but not in that current. So the point is the word resolve Maybe purpose, maybe desire, maybe resolve, but it's not float. It's not coast. Don't enter this year just coasting. Because I know what direction you will flow if you do, and you don't want to go there. We are in a culture that requires dolphin-like Desiring dolphin-like, resolving dolphin-like, purposing, if we're going to not float the devil's direction. Let me read the verses again and then ask a few questions. To this end, 
Second Thessalonians 1.11. To this end, we always pray for you. What God to do this. We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every good resolve and work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus. Jonathan Edwards, my favorite dead theologian outside the Bible, always began his sermons by stating a doctrine, and then he defended the doctrine and explained it, applied it. So I'm going to do that. Here's my doctrine. This is the doctrine I'm drawing out of those verses for you. It is the happy duty of Christians to seek God's power to fulfill good resolves. That's the doctrine this morning. It is the happy duty of Christians to seek God's power to fulfill good resolves or resolutions or purposes or desires as you enter the new year. And I have two big questions and some little questions. Two big questions. Why? How? In fact, there are only three questions in the world I care about pretty much. Well, that's not true. It's an overstatement. What? Why? How? Almost all my life is figuring out. Because I already got the who figured out. So I, that's why I balked there a little bit. When you get the who figured out, you, everything else boils down to what, why, how. And so I've got the what. It is your duty, happy duty, to seek God's power to fulfill good resolves. And my next question now is why? And there are, at least in this text, three answers to that question. Number one, because in seeking God's power to fulfill good resolutions or resolutions for good things in your life, you thereby become worthy of your call. To this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy. Let me pause there now. There are some translations that say count you worthy. Got major justification, sanctification issues going on in that little controversy. I'm sticking with make you worthy. Because not only did Aaron read in Ephesians 4 at the very beginning that he exhorts us to walk worthily of our calling, walk worthily of our calling, but also in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, it says that we should walk worthy of God who calls us. There is a justification sense in which we are counted worthy. And there is a sanctification sense in which we are made worthy. We'll talk about that for a minute because here we are. And I don't know whether I said you could see this. Do you see it? Here we are. Would you agree with me? that the phrase, may God make you worthy of his call, connected to the next phrase by the simple word, and, and may he fulfill every good resolve. Would you agree with me 
that those, that little word and doesn't mean like here are two separate things they don't have anything to do with each other. I don't think and works that way here. I think it means, okay, I want to walk and be worthy of my calling to glory in Christ. What shall I do? Answer, ask God to fulfill your good resolves by his power and do it. When good resolves are fulfilled by the power of God, you become worthy of your calling. That's the first reason we should do it. Now, got to linger on that for a minute. Your calling, what is that? Worthy of your call. It's not your vocation. It's like lawyer, homemaker, teacher, Pastor, it's not that. This is, this is the call out of darkness into light, out of death into life. Here's um, Romans 8.30. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. So your call is out of the world into a justified and certain-to-be glorified condition. It's a call to glory. Here's another verse that shows that. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who called you is faithful. He will do it. Do do what? 1 Corinthians 1.8 He will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called to his glory. You're called to glory. So, God has set his favor on us, called us out of darkness, justified us by the blood of Christ, appointed us for glory, Now the big question is, can I walk worthy of that call? What would that mean? The word worthy is really, I mean, you're all Presbyterians. (laughs) We lovers of God's sovereign work in our lives and the lovers of the doctrines of grace and the lovers of the solas of the Reformation tend to choke on the word worthy of God, worthy of calling. Like, I'm never going to be that till the second coming. Well, you better be more biblical than Presbyterian. Because the Bible says, yes, you will be or you won't go to heaven. There is a walk that is worthy of our calling. But what's the word mean? What does the word worthy mean? Now, here's a little phrase that really helps. This is John the Baptist in Luke 3, verse 8 where he says to all those people coming to be baptized, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Huh, worthy of repentance. That's an odd phrase, worthy of repentance. So clearly worthy can't mean deserving of. This is what we tend to feel that it means. Like That's why we choke on it. It just feels like I'm getting deserving. Now I deserve grace. Now I deserve the calling. Now I deserve heaven. Well, you never do. Ever. <laughs> Not even in heaven do you deserve heaven. You're always depending on grace. And look at the end of verse 12 where it says, This is all according to the grace of God. This is all according to the grace of the Lord Jesus. 
The word worthy here does not mean deserving of. It means suitable to. So, worthy of repentance. Bear fruits, worthy of repentance, means fruits that befit, are suitable to, are appropriate to repentance. So here will be an illustration. You've got a guest coming to your house. And this is a very esteemed guest. And you want to prepare a room worthy of your guest. You don't deserve to have this guest come. This guest might be the President of the United States just having to pick your house. But you're going to make the room... you. You vacuum, you dust, you put a new bedspread on, you look around and you try to make it as special as you can. And then you notice, when it's almost ready, the lampshade. A big blot in the lampshade. Oh, that lampshade, I never liked that lampshade. It's just not suitable. It's not worthy of the present. What does that sentence mean? It's not worthy of the president. It's kind of paradoxical. It means the president deserves more. Right? It's kind of flip it around. The president deserves better. This guest deserves better than that smudgy lampshade. I'm getting a new lampshade tomorrow. So, when you walk worthy of your calling, what you're saying is, my calling is so high, so stunning, so sure, so awesome and glorious, it deserves more of me. I never become deserving of it. My life should be more suitable to the habitation of God in this room than it is. Hence, New Year's resolutions. Got any lampshades in your room? Your 2015 room that need to be exchanged so that the Lord's habitation and your destiny to be glorious like him and him be glorious in you just needs a better fitness. That's what worthy of means in this verse. So reason number one for why you should seek God's power to fulfill good resolves is that that's how God makes you worthy of his call to glory. Not deserving of, suitable for. Number two. Second reason for why you should do the doctrine of seeking his power to fulfill your resolves for good is that thereby the Lord Jesus is glorified in you. See that in verse 12? May God, I pray that God would fulfill, God will do this, fulfill every good resolve and work of faith by his power so that you, he, might be, the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Now, there are two senses in which that comes true. If you devote yourself to sprucing up a room to make it suitable for an esteemed guest, you are clearly esteeming the guest. And Jesus is glorified when your life is made worthy of his calling to himself. The main meaning, however, I think, is found in the words, by his power. We pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his 
calling and fulfill every good resolve by his power. If God does it by God's power, who gets the glory? God. That's the reason. That's Paul's reasoning here. Paul is praying, God, you do this. You turn resolves into deeds. Do it by your power so that Christ would be glorified in these resolves. To which you should ask, it doesn't say Christ. It says God's power. So why does Christ get the glory? says, God, I pray that you would fulfill the resolves, turn them into actions by your power, so Jesus gets the glory. You think, hmm, why Jesus? Why not the Father? Isn't the answer given at the end of verse 12? According to all of this work of God in you to fulfill these resolves is according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus, which means that the power that you are seeking from God to fulfill these resolves is a power that was purchased for you by the Lord Jesus. And only through his grace do you get that power. And therefore, when you act in that power, Christ is magnified as well as the father. It's exactly the same logic as 1 Peter 4.11, let him who serves serve in the strength that God supplies, serve in the strength, power that God supplies, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The giver gets the glory. And the one who purchased the gift gets the glory. So the second reason for why we should care as we enter 2015 about seeking God's power to fulfill resolves for good is because when we do them that way, Christ is glorified, made to look great. Now, right here, I want to make sure all of you know the difference between um, godless and godly morality. Some of you might even say, that's an oxymoron to talk about godless morality. Mor moral means doing good. How could doing good be godless? Well, Pharisees, that's how. The reason I mention I pause here over this is because I don't know how it is here in Atlanta or at this church, but there's a lot. In these days of collapsing American culture, there's a lot of people who are ticked at the secular world for taking away our schools and our America, for goodness sakes. And, and what they really mean is, that you still want that bad word in the schools. Does that have anything to do with doing things in the power of God, by the grace of God, for the glory of God? Not for a lot of people. It's not a God thing at all. Just give me back my America. Give me back my schools. Give me back my culture. What have you done to this? And it's all very horizontal. 
It, it doesn't have really much to do with my passion is for Christ to be magnified in my life, in my church, God willing, in our land. So I just want you to feel this distinction. There is a such there is such a thing as godless morality. Sinful morality. What is it? Just if 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 I would give you a little quiz now, if this were a class, I'd say take verses eleven and twelve and define Godless or sinful doing good. And I hope the exam would come back reading like this. A a fulfilling of good resolves that is sinful, good resolves, like I'm not going to sleep around, going to get to work on time, going to be active in the community with no dependence on God's power and no passion for God's glory in Jesus Christ. That's godless and sinful doing good. This, this verse is not about that, and the Bible doesn't care about that. America or no America, it doesn't care. The Bible cares about one thing. Are you depending on God's power? Are you living for the glory of Jesus in your doing good? And if you aren't, your doing good is of zero significance to God. The devil is really happy with doing good. Minus God power and minus God glory. So Westminster Presbyterian don't want anything to do with that civil religion in America. We want God to get the glory. We want Christ to be exalted. And he can be in the worst of cultures, which is what happened for 300 years in the early church. That's number two. Why should you seek the power of God in order to fulfill the resolves for good? Answer, Because only by seeking his power to do resolves for good does Christ get glory and you act like a Christian and not a mere American. Number three. Don't miss the little words. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Here we are in verse 12. In you and you in him. Wow. I pray that you, that God would fulfill your New Year's resolutions by his power so that not only would he be made glorious in your life, but you would become glorious in his. Are you up for that? That's your goal? That's what it says. And you in him. So that the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified in you, and you be glorified in him. You got that down for your destiny? Your calling is to be glorious. Glorious. Like the sun. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 13? The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. 
I really want that day. I'm so tired of sinning. I am so tired of failing my wife and kids and colleagues with my indwelling, remaining corruption of selfishness and pride and I'm just sick of me. So, I don't know what your hope is for the second coming and or death, whichever comes first. If it's just, I want a well body, yeah, me too. I, I'm fading. But I, I mainly want to be just done with displeasing Jesus. Done with letting people down. I want to be gloriously true to Christ, gloriously reflective of Christ. And that, he says, is coming through the fulfillment of good resolves. Don't miss the word so that. You see the word so that? so that Christ will be glorified in you and you in him. The so that means your being glorified is contingent on your getting God's power to fulfill good results. Which raises a big question, theologically. Wait a minute. I thought our glory. For sure. Romans 8.30. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. No dropouts, totally at all. Nobody is missing in that golden chain. If you're predestined, you're called. If you're called, you're justified. If you're justified, you're glorified. Absolutely, I totally believe that. Nobody is lost who is predestined, called, justified. Everybody in that chain will be glorified. So, how can he say here, God, I pray that you would fulfill all their good resolutions by your power so that they will be glorified. A lot of people feel a tension there. Do you? You don't need to. And I'll tell you why you don't need to. True believers in the total sovereignty of God have an answer. Those who don't, don't. The answer is, our sovereign God chooses us, calls us, justifies us, glorifies us. Nobody lost in that golden chain. And because he is sovereign, he can put in place requirements in this life for a fitness for that glory. Walk worthy of that calling. And he can take responsibility for fulfilling those requirements as our almighty sovereign sanctifier. Which is why Paul is praying that God do this. He's not saying, I hope you can all do this. That's not what it says. He says, oh God. Grant that all your people in Thessalonica would so experience your power that they would walk worthy of their calling and thus Christ be magnified in them and they be glorified in Christ. Get it done, almighty God. That's what he's praying. And therefore, yes, it is sure, my glorification is sure, and my glorification is contingent. 
dependent on the Spirit's powerful work in my life, fulfilling resolutions for good. And those are not contradictory. The so that in this verse is massively important. So those are my three answers to the first question. Number one, because you're going to pursue power to fulfill good resolves, because thereby you become worthy of his call. Number two, because Christ is glorified when you do. And number three, because you are glorified through that. Last question. How? How do I do this? You keep saying, seek God's power to fulfill my good resolves. What? How? How does that happen? What does it feel like when I get up tomorrow morning and I've resolved not to be so impatient with my wife? Or I resolve to read my Bible with my kids? What, what is it? What is it? How do I get the power to do that? Because that's what the verse says you're supposed to have to do it. And I've got two answers to that question. Two points. Number one. To say that you should seek God's power in the fulfillment of your resolutions does not mean you don't resolve. Mark Zuckerberg is not wrong to resolve. He's just wrong not to seek God's power. Not wrong to depend on the grace of Jesus, blood-bought at the cross for unworthy people. Not wrong to change. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to do different at work. I'm going to conquer this stinking habit that I always seem to fall to. That kind of talk is good. If you understand this sermon. I'm going to seek God's power to do this. By God's grace, blood bought by Jesus. It's a gospel way of doing New Year's resolution. So don't hear me now say in the how part of this message, the how part. Oh, it's, they're really, it's not resolved. We're not really resolving. God is doing it all. I'm not resolving. I don't have any willpower in this at all. I don't engage my will at all. That's totally not what this verse is saying a person who says I believe in the sovereignty of God I'm to sit back and do nothing and God will sanctify me and fulfill his good resolves his good resolves in my life the person who talks like that does not believe in the sovereignty of God if you believed in the sovereignty of God why would you so blatantly disobey him It's a lie. If you choose to sit back and do nothing in the face of your besetting sins, you are not doing nothing. You are totally engaging your will to sit back. You think God is confused by this rebellion and this disobedience? The decision to fold your arms and not fight the fight of faith and put to death the deeds of the body. You think that decision is no decision? You think that work of the will to be inactive is no work of the will? It is totally a disobedient work of the will. The Bible is real, real clear that we are to put to death what is earthly 
in you. Enter by the narrow door. Listen to Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I worked harder than any of them. Nevertheless, it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I worked. It was not I, but the grace. I resolved, but it was God's power through my resolution. Or Colossians 1.29. I labor to present you perfect before Christ with all the might that God mightily works in me. I labor with all the might he mightily works in me. Or Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is the one who is at work in you. When God is fully engaged in your life to make you holy, to make you worthy of his calling The evidence for that is not the inactivity of your will, but the strength of your will. God gave you a will. Guess what? He looked on everything and said, it is good. The human will is a good thing. He doesn't cancel it. He inhabits it. The evidence that he's mighty in your life is that your will is mighty to crucify sin. You're lying in bed and you know you need to get out of bed. What does it take to get out of bed? Will. Yes, and there's no levitation. Levitate, levitate. Pray, pray. Power, power. No, get up. I've done this experiment dozens of times. God, I don't want to do works. I don't live by works. I want to live by faith. Give me up. I want to read my Bible. That's funny. That's a mystery. I worked harder than any of them, but it was not I. I got out of bed and onto my knees, and it was not I. Which leads me just to the last answer to the question, how? My first answer was, don't think it means not resolving. Don't think it means not willing. And my last answer is to focus on this phrase, Work of faith. Do you see that? In verse 11, we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and work of faith. Oh, oh, can a phrase get more important? Work of faith. Work of faith. Life of faith. Getting out of bed of faith. Getting on your knees of faith. Eating breakfast of faith. Drinking orange juice of faith. Staying out of bed with your secretary of faith. No, it can't get much more important. Do do you agree with me that the word and between Fulfill every resolve for good and work of faith probably means 
When God answers that prayer to fulfill our resolves, what does he do? He turns them into works, right? I got a resolve, be on time. Fulfillment, I'm on time. It's a deed. I, I rang the doorbell on time. That's the deed. Now, the connection between the resolve and the deed are two things. Power, by power, by my power, and faith. And this is where we're going to land this plane. How the doctrine says... The happy duty of every Christian is to seek the power of God to fulfill good resolves in 2015. How do you appropriate and experience the power of God? Answer, faith. That's why it's called now a work of faith. Work of faith. So let me just give you illustrations. The best way to explain this, I think, is just illustrations of how that works. Just take, let's suppose, I mean, everybody's been tweeting and blogging about if they're going to and how to read the Bible in the year to come. Let's all read the Bible together. And I say, amen, I started over again. Discipleship journal reading plan, that's mine. Used it for about 30 plus years. Now read the Bible again in 2015. Now suppose you've never done that. And this year, a few days ago, and it's never too late, you said, going to do it this year. Here's your question. There's power for that, according to verse 11. Fulfill that good resolve by power. And then it says, if you do it, it becomes a work of faith. So faith must be that by which you experience the power. If you ask, what's the pipe? What's the pipe through which the power is coming? The answer is the pipe is, I believe the power is there. Let's be more specific, though. Here's how it really works. The power flows through faith in the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing. So, you made the resolution. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And suddenly, third day in, the pressures are mounting at work. There's stress at home. The baby is sick. I got to get to work. I just got to get to work. I was going to do it in the morning, but it's not going to fit. Where's the power? What? How do you get the power? You stockpile promises like. This is where I began three days ago. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So that's my resolution, right? He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in everything he does, he prospers. Do you believe that? Believe that. That's how the power flows. Here comes a moment. Right now, the devil is whispering, you can't take the time to do this. There's too much hanging on your presence at work and there's too much trouble at home. Lies, lies, lies. How do you powerfully counter the lies of your brain and the devil? Answer, the Bible says 
I will be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit. My leaf will remain green when there's drought everywhere in my life. And I will prosper in what I do if I walk with God in his word. Get out of here, Satan. And you're on your knees. Fulfilling by God's power your good resolve to read your Bible. But if you believe him. It's a faith issue. The promises made to you of the benefits of reading your Bible are so spectacular, you must disbelieve them not to read your Bible. It's a faith issue. Second illustration. Suppose you've been living... Really hit and miss. It's not my church, so I get to do this on behalf of your pastor. He asked me to do this. I want to say just a word about generosity towards your church. Because I was a pastor for 33 years, and we came to the end of the year every year. Budget was always, always a problem. Never had a year when it wasn't a problem. And um, I just want to say to you as a people, suppose one of your good resolves is okay. I've been limping along, just writing a check from week to week, or not, if it doesn't fit. You know, if we're on big vacation, we have enough money to give, and, and everything's hit and miss. This year, not going to be hit and miss. I'm writing off the top, from gross, 10%, Westminster Press. That's my resolution. There's more, 5% towards all the mission agencies I love and all the justice issues I love, more and more. And I hope... That in a neighborhood like this, which looks to me like a wealthy neighborhood, that's way behind where you are now. I mean, like 10%, give me a break. If you need 90% of your income to live on, you're living wrong. Uh, what amen? <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, you've resolved now, going to do better this year. And along comes the word from Satan. No, if you do that, then you won't be able to get this new iPhone 6. And you won't be able to stay those extra three days on vacation. And you won't this and you won't that. What do you do? How do you get power at that moment? Power to conquer that lie. Well, you turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therefore, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? And the check is written in the power of the promise of God. To the glory of Jesus Christ who bought that faith for you. It's a faith issue. Generosity is a faith issue. Reading your Bible is a faith issue. And I'll give you one closing illustration. You've worked at the same place now for a year, two years, ten years. There are three people at work you've never spoken to Jesus about. This is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. We're just going to have a natural conversation. Going to invite him to go to lunch or just going to find a time. And I'm going to share my life with them. I want to be an authentic witness this year. Nothing canned, nothing artificial. Just real life resolution to be a witness at work for Jesus. And the devil says, they're going to ask you a question you can't answer. What do you do then? Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You believe that promise 
And you say, get behind me, Satan. I got a resolution. And I'm laying hold on the powerful promise of God to get me to fulfill it. Or the next question arises, you know if you do this, you're going to get a reputation at work and it's going to be messy. It's really going to be messy. Everybody's going to know you're one of those weirdos. You probably hate homosexuals too. But you don't. It's not easy to be a Christian today, given the reputation that we've gotten. But what are you going to do with, with that? Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Believe it. You get up in the morning and believe that. I'm going to trust that promise. And through that trust flows power. The doctrine is, in this year, yes. Not the Mark Zuckerberg way, but the St. Paul way. We seek God's power to fulfill good resolves by faith in God's promises based on the grace of God and the grace of Jesus, Father, I pray that these friends would fulfill hundreds of wonderful resolves for good in 2015. This church would feel the blessing flowing through faith in the lives of its people. And we would be conformed to Christ and walk worthy of our calling, and bring him great glory. I ask this in his name.